All right, thank you, Natalie. All right, I will unfortunately not be attending the yoga thing. Um, I know, it's amazing. Well, my name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm really glad you're here. Uh, We're in this series, and I think it's one of the most important series. Okay, I think that about every series we have, but this is an important series because we're studying the Holy Spirit, and I believe that so many believers have disconnected themselves from the very power that God gave them. And so we're learning a lot, and we're in like week two or three of looking at the moment when the Holy Spirit descended from heaven upon the disciples. Now, I would suspect that if I pulled this room and I said, in your mind, where do you picture that happen? Most of you would say the upper room. Okay, every once in a while, you're taught something over and over, and you hear it so much that you just go, oh, okay, that must have been where it is. We're going to do a little bubble bursting today because I think it actually happened in a place that was much cooler, not temperature-wise, but just in theory, than the upper room. And we're going to look at the scriptures that support that, and I think it'll help us understand the power of that moment. Now, we're exploring what God's Word says about the Holy Spirit. And we've been looking, I call them flashpoints, those moments in your life when something happens and you know you will never, ever be the same. When Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, a lot of times we get sort of amped up on things like speaking in tongues, prophecy, miracles, and we wanna make sure before we begin into those, and we will, but I need to make sure that we all understand why the Holy Spirit gave us gifts in the first place. Today, I want us to look at the most important reason the Holy Spirit decided to gift us. If you think about it, we could surrender to Christ. We could believe in faith that Jesus died for our sins. We could receive the Holy Spirit. We could become spiritually reborn, as Jesus told Nicodemus, and that's it. We wait till we go back to heaven, we're saved, and many Christians live their life that way. But for some reason, and I'm gonna tell you what that reason is in a little bit, God said, you know what, that's not why you're still here. You see, we could have been saved and immediately been rocketed up to heaven, like Elijah. We could have just taken off, yeah. And, but yet God said, no, you're gonna stay here. You're going to stay here. I have something for you to do. Oh, okay, we're here for a reason. I'm just going to clue you in. That reason's not about you. God didn't say, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to save you. I'm going to give you eternal life so you can live on earth wrinkle-free and think that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. That's not what he said. He said, I'm going to leave you here. And oh, by the way, I'm going to leave you here for a couple reasons. One, you need to suffer. Because in your suffering, it brings glory to me. Second is, you're gonna go through trials, difficult trials, and people are gonna see how you handle those trials compared to somebody else, and in the process, they're gonna see me. And oh, by the way, I'm gonna put my spirit inside of you, and you're gonna take me to the world. If they don't see me in you, they're not gonna see me. He left us here. But he told the disciples, he said, you'll receive power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
When the Holy Spirit comes on you, the first thing you're going to know is you have power. And that power is not of you. It's of God. And that power has a purpose. You're going to be his witnesses. I know you're scared, he says. I know you want me to stay here with you. I know you feel overwhelmed, but I'm sending you power. Power from on a high. I'm sending you God-sized power from the throne because I'm about to send you on a God-sized mission that you totally can't do on your own. In fact, he said, if you go try to accomplish this on your own, you will fail. Every man-made attempt to do God's work fails. Jesus says, don't you dare go out there. Don't you go try to represent me until my Holy Spirit is in you. Note the reason for the power. You will be my witnesses. Also, he noticed that he didn't say you will be witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses. You could go out on your own and be a witness, but he says, you're going to be my witness. You're going to witness to what I tell you to say. You're going to witness to what you know to be true through me. You see, I'm going to use you to tell the story that I need to tell, he says. The power I'm going to send you is to allow me, the Holy Spirit, to tell the world about the Father and Jesus through you. You see, receiving the Holy Spirit is not about you at all. God would say, it's all about me. The power, the gifts, they're they're not about you. They're about him. Sometimes we think, oh, well, I have this power of the Spirit, or I have this, or I, no, you don't. He has it, he's using you. He could stop tomorrow. You want to see it? Start owning it and watch what happens. You see, he said, when you repented, when you gave your life to Christ, everything about you became about me. You don't exist anymore. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's nothing about you that's important except that you're a believer, spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ. And you're going to receive power, he says. And I'm going to send you with power for only one purpose. You're going to use your life to show me to the world. That's why I'm empowering you. You're going to be my witnesses. I'm going to use you to reveal me. Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem, Acts 1-4. And while they were staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. That's weird. The promise of the Father. What promise? What what has the Father been promising? They didn't raise their hand and go, oh, excuse me, what promise was that again? They knew. You see, we read the verse, we blow right through it. Go wait for the promise. But to those who'd study the Scripture, they knew there had been a promise for thousands of years. God had promised a Messiah. Jesus came, but there was another promise that had not yet been fulfilled. Jesus told them the Holy Spirit would come to them, and they were actually expecting something. 
You see, one day the Spirit of God would come. Why? Because God promised. Not only a Messiah, but His Spirit on earth. Jesus had come. They had seen the Messiah, but they had yet to experience His Spirit on earth. God had promised from the Old Testament that He would one day pour His Spirit out on His people. I'm going to show you some examples. Isaiah 32, 15. Until the Spirit is upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness quietness and trust forever. The Spirit's going to come and He's going to change the world is the promise. Isaiah the prophet said this, I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. Ezekiel the prophet said it this way, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Zechariah the prophet. I I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, thousands of years before it was ever thought of, by the way, They shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Joel, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Throughout the Old Testament, there were two promises. The Messiah would return and the Spirit of God would return. There were two promises. A Messiah who would usher in the Spirit of God. They had seen the Messiah. They were waiting for the promised Spirit. Jesus said this, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In John, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus is teaching there's a Spirit coming. There's a power coming from on high. And just like at Pentecost, the Jewish people anticipated God would show his power. They also had good reason that God would one day pour his spirit out on his followers. He promised. When Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father, they knew. They knew he was talking about the spirit of God. That was the yet to be fulfilled promise. 
And as they headed to Pentecost, they were praying for God's Spirit and God's power. They didn't know what to expect. They were full of anticipation. They were desperate. They wanted whatever Jesus was going to send them. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait. Now, now we've been taught that it was in the upper room. It's probably not clear. Let's read this, Acts 1.12. When they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, and they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. All those with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They left Jesus as he ascended to heaven. The angel said, what are you doing here? He told you to go. So they went to Jerusalem. They go to the upper room. They begin to pray. It continues. In those days, Peter, my favorite, stood up among the brothers. And there were about 120, scriptures tell us. And he said, and he leads them to replace Judas. In the upper room, the disciples met the night Jesus ascended to replace the disciple that had fallen. And they picked Matthias based on what, how God led them. And then we get to the passage that we're all familiar with. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Note the time shift. When the day of Pentecost arrived. Remember last week, how many days do we say was between when they were in the upper room and when Pentecost came? Do you remember? 50 total, Jesus was here for 40, so if you do the math, about 10 days, okay? So at one point, they're in the upper room replacing the disciple. 10 days later, when the day of Pentecost came, they, 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 were, um, they were then together in one place, okay? Just remember that. In the upper room, I think they replaced Judas pretty quick. I think they were angry. And I don't think it took them very long. I think the first thing they did was, okay, we got to replace him. Now, 10 days later, it's unclear if they in scriptures are the 120 or just the disciples, but it seems to be the entire group. So you'll hear people say all the time, those who were in the upper room, the spirit fell on them. Those who were in the upper room, the spirit fell on them. It doesn't mean they're in the upper room now. It's going to be important in a minute. On the day of Pentecost, where do Jewish people go? Where are they required to go? To the temple. If you're Jewish, you're at the temple on the day of Pentecost. You're not in some upper room somewhere. Where would they be where people of all nations would be nearby? At the temple, specifically in the Gentile area of the temple. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. Where would this moment cause the most commotion? At the temple. In Exodus, God descended on Mount Sinai. We talked about that. Then later, he descends on the tabernacle, the, the temporary temple that he had taken from place to place. So it makes sense that when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit would fall on the house of God. Which makes sense. I mean, the house, it fell on the tabernacle, it fell in the wilderness, it would fall on the house of God. The book of Luke and Acts was written, it's a two-volume set, 
I want to look at Luke first. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually where? In the temple, blessing God. Jesus had ascended. They went to Jerusalem. We're told they went to the upper room. In that upper room, they replaced Judas. But Luke tells us they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Then he moves into the sequel just 14 verses later. Then all were with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In Acts, the companion verse, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Acts 2.46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Why did they say temple courts? Do you know? Remember when we did the series on the temple? Maybe not, I barely remember it. There's an area of the temple, we'll get to it in a minute, that is the Jewish area. It's where the Holy of Holies is, the Jewish court is, the court for women, the court for men. Outside of that, the court area was available for Gentiles. If you came and you were a Jewish believer, you couldn't go into the the Jewish courts, you had to stay in the outer courts. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Why? Because they had Gentiles with them. Most likely the temple courts were their meeting place, not the upper room. And I'm gonna give you a couple reasons why I believe, and you may be going, what difference does it make? It's gonna make a difference. Because when you understand the context of scripture, it explodes. All the activities at Pentecost were at the temple. Now the temple, this is a model remake. Can we go back to the one right before this? Okay, that star is over the Holy of Holies. Okay, everything in the temple is symbolic. Everything in the temple has meaning. When Jesus descended upon, when the Holy Spirit descended upon the temple, God was contained within the Holy of Holies the very back part of that tall structure there in the middle. There was a huge curtain that separated us from him. He's among his people, he's not in his people. If you then look at that center area, that's the Jewish area. Okay, the front side, they would enter through that little stairs right there, they'd go up, they'd enter into that area. There's a court of women, there was a place for men, it's a place to do sacrifices. That's where the Jewish people were able to go towards the Holy of Holies, closer to God than everybody else. The Gentiles had to stay in the outer courts. Okay, does that make sense? All right, now, do you see the covered porch on the left? Right over there, okay? So now you see the Jewish court, the Holy of Holies, and then over here you see this portico, that's what they called it, patio. That's called Solomon's patio, Solomon from Solomon's temple days. It's a Gentile court. That's where the Gentiles would hang out. It was a common place of shade and rest. Here's an artist's rendition of Jesus' teaching in the the colonnade. It was a place known from Acts chapter 3. Just a few days after Pentecost, Acts 3 verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. 
And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So they're going up to do their prayers. It's a few days after Pentecost. They've received the Holy Spirit. They're still following. They're going to pray. And there's a man there at the beautiful gate who has been lame. And he's asking for money. That's essentially what's happening. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And he asked for alms of those entering the temple. Peter and John would heal this lame man in the name of Jesus. He would get up and he would run to the portico where the Gentiles are, telling everybody what God had done. He was leaping and praising, and we're going to dive into this in a minute. And it says, when he got over to that portico, when he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them to the portico called Solomon's. So this guy has been in front of the temple every day asking for money. They heal him. He jumps up. He makes a commotion. He starts dancing, and he runs across the courtyard through all the Gentiles over to that area. Why did he go there? Why would he go there? It would have been more natural now that he was healed, now that he no longer had shame to go into the Jewish courts and go closer to where he believed God was. You would think he would have run into the Jewish area. Yet he runs to the portico. Hmm. Three days after Pentecost. I believe it was because just a few days earlier, he was lame, sitting at the same place, begging for money, and he saw the Holy Spirit fall on a group of people. And he couldn't get over there. And he saw that they were praising God and speaking in tongues and making sense, and everybody was stirred up, and he's stuck over here as an outsider, and he can't get over there. And the whole place is stirred up, but it's not for him. He's still lame, he's still an outcast, he still can't go. And then Peter and John come up and basically tell him, God hadn't forgotten you. God hasn't forgotten you. He's miraculously healed. Where does he run? He goes to Solomon's portico. Why? Because a few days ago, he saw God there. He saw the fall of the Spirit at Pentecost and he knew he was drawn, but he couldn't go. Peter and John said, it's not over. It's for you too. He gets healed. He immediately runs over there. And he ran over there, I believe, because that's where God's stuff was happening. Not in the Holy of Holies. The Spirit of God had fallen on people now. You see, you have to understand the symbolism of the temple. The curtain of the Holy of Holies was ripped in two by Jesus' death. God did that. And he said, I'm available to all the people. So all the God stuff moves from the Holy of Holies to the Gentile courts. Why? Because the message is for everybody. And there's something symbolic here. The Jewish courts, the sacrifices, the Jewish uh, Holy of Holies all represented the old covenant. That was the old way of reconciling with God. You went to the temple, you paid a sacrifice, you did all those things. You entered into the Jewish court through the gate beautiful. But God's bringing a new covenant. The gate beautiful's down there at the bottom. It's made of solid gold doors reserved for the Jewish people to go through. 
He's sitting outside that gate. He can't go in if he's Jewish because he's paralyzed, he's deformed. The covenant is for all people. It's not found just in the Jewish courts anymore. It's everywhere. And so he's running. This believer will learn about that. Healed in the Holy Spirit, runs. And he symbolically runs from the old law to the freedom of grace and mercy in the gospel of Christ. He is an outsider. He is unwelcome in the temple because of his deformities. And now he's dancing across the courtyard because he has faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit fell on the disciples at Pentecost, and now he's falling on believers. He stirs up the crowd. Just like it happened a few days before, people are over there. They're drawn to Solomon's portico because that's where the miraculous of God is happening. Acts 3, verse 11, And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. This guy is leading a parade. He begins to dance and jump and worship God, and people follow him. They don't even know why they're following him, but he's excited, so they're excited and they're going. Pay attention to that. When you're excited for God, people follow you to where you're going. He doesn't care what people think. He's free. And the people saw it. Peter addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power we've made him walk? I wish every person who's ever had the spiritual gift of healing would read that passage. Peter uses the miraculous gift of healing a gift from the Holy Spirit in order to use God's power to move the gospel forward. That's the only reason gifts are ever exhibited or used, to move the message of Jesus forward. You can read his sermon in Acts chapter 3. But this time, the temple guards are ready for him. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now let me share something with you. They weren't over there teaching about the healing. Please don't miss that. They weren't over in Solomon's portico going, yeah, he was lame and now he's walking. Look at that, I got the gift of healing. No, they were arrested because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were saying, look, that's interesting, but that's only occurring because there's something bigger you need to know. And now that the Holy Spirit has your attention, here's what you need to know. Peter and John are arrested, but look at the next verse. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. That's a little bit more than we have here today. First time he preaches, three days ago, 3,000. Second time, 5,000. Where do you find 5,000 people in Jerusalem at the Feast of Pentecost? They're in the temple. They're coming to see what God things are happening. The power of the Holy Spirit was released for one purpose, to advance the gospel and save people. It had nothing to do with healing. It had nothing to do with God wanted this man to have a wrinkle-free life. Maybe he did. 
But the reason he was healed had nothing to do with him or the person healing him. The reason he's healed is because the Holy Spirit wanted to use a healing to open people's hearts to be ready to receive the message. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit falls on you and you will be my witnesses. Key point, the only reason we use the power of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. Not ourselves, not to the healing, not to the prophecy, not to the gift we have, never. If the Holy Spirit's doing it, he's going to get you to point to the Father, to Jesus. The primary thing the Holy Spirit does, we talked about it every single week, he glorifies the Father, he glorifies Jesus, he does nothing else. He never brings glory to himself. If anything is being done and it's not pointing to Jesus, it didn't come from the Holy Spirit. If anything is being done in the name of the Spirit and you're not seeing people converted to Christ, it didn't come from the Holy Spirit. His gifts are always used to move people to the gospel. Peter didn't say, hey, y'all, come back at seven. Because at seven, you see, I have this healing gift and bring all the sick people and I'll heal them. Look at what I've done. Look at how spiritual I am. I have a gift. I've got God on a string. You come, I'll pray for you, you'll be healed. If you don't come and let me pray for you, you won't be healed because God only works through me. Or for a love offering of 10 denarii, come back and I'll heal you too. If you can't wait, here's a handkerchief. I'll give it to you for eight. No, the miraculous miracle of healing served one purpose. It was to get everybody's attention so they could receive the message of Christ. God is all about saving people, not wowing them. The greatest miracle was not the healing. The greatest miracle was 5,000 people heard the message of Christ and fell on their face. You see, we focus on the one who needs to be healed. Oh, isn't that nice? Look how wonderful his life's gonna be. No, if he doesn't find Jesus, he's going to hell. Healed in everything. The Bible teaches us to pray for healing and there's nothing wrong with that. But when the Holy Spirit decides to heal, it's for the purpose of giving Jesus the glory so that those looking in, those seeking him can see the power of God. And remember how this story ends. Many who heard the word believed, 5,000. Now I know I am beating this point to death. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given only to bring people to Jesus. If the focus is on the person, the way they distribute the gift or money, it didn't come from the Holy Spirit and you can walk away from it. Run would be my recommendation. The Holy Spirit always, always expresses himself in order to advance the gospel. The gospel of Jesus, not the gospel of the healer. Acts chapter two, verse two. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. You wanna guess what that word house means most of the time in the Bible? God's house. A rushing wind filled the entire house. Now let's read this carefully. Where'd this sound come from? Heaven. Not of this earth. It's a rushing wind from the throne of God. Look at the word house. 
The same word in the Old Testament and New Testament from the Greek is translated not house, house of God. Don't miss the symbolism. The Spirit of God is once again filling the house of God. But this time he's filling the Gentile courts. It's not the holy of holies, it's everybody. And the Spirit's not falling on the temple and housed within a room, it's falling on God's people and housed within their heart. The same thing happened in Exodus. In Exodus 40, Moses told them to build a tabernacle. And everywhere they moved, construct the tabernacle. And they did over and over. And he said it would be a precursor to the temple to come. That temple would be built on Mount Sinai. It held the Ark of the Covenant. God gave very specific instructions on how to exactly build this because he was building his home. I did a whole series called God's Home. You can find it on the web. You can find it on the podcast. All about this particular structure and what it means. And when it was completed, God came to the nation of Israel in cloud and fire, and he filled up the Holy of Holies inside that temple, inside that tabernacle. We read about it, Exodus 40, 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God descended, and his presence was now with the nation of Israel. And 1,500 years later, God's going to descend once again. But this time, there's a huge difference. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This time, God's presence was not with the nation of Israel. The time of his presence, God filled the room, but this time, spirit and fire, he rests on each person. His presence rested on each person because of the work of Jesus. God would no longer be with his people his spirit would forever be in his people. And that subtle difference means everything. This time the spirit's coming for each of us. This time the promise is not just a nation, it's for every human being on the planet. So I wonder if you recognize yourself in this story. I do this a lot when I'm studying scripture. God, where am I in this story? Am I one of the disciples? Am I Peter? Am I get, do I get to preach to 3,000 people? Is that me? God, that's me, right? And as I study this scripture more and more, I realized I was the paralyzed man. For the longest time in my life, I sat outside the church, looking to other people for my needs, begging other people for my provision, trying to gain their approval. I was paralyzed. And I knew something was wrong. I was empty. I was isolated spiritually. I saw people going to church. I saw people going to God, but I didn't think I belonged. I didn't have whatever it was. They seemed spiritually connected, and I was not. If I walked into their holy places, they would know that I was paralyzed. Day after day, I sat outside the church spiritually. And I knew I was unable to fix myself. It seemed like God was for other people, but not for me. I didn't know what I needed, but I knew there was a deep hole in my spiritual life and I didn't know how to fill it. I saw church people who were so excited about God, so pumped up, they worshiped, so excited about their relationship with Jesus, and I just didn't get it. I grew up in the church, but honestly, I never felt like they did. 
I just figured this God thing wasn't for me. Like the paralyzed man, I started looking to other humans. Can you meet my needs? Can you provide for me? You see, I'm helpless. I tried all kinds of power, all kinds of things to fix my problem. But I can't find anything in this world that gives me the power to overcome my paralysis. The only power that could transform me, I've learned, is the Holy Spirit. And that's what this paralyzed man is about to discover. True healing is always about the Holy Spirit. Acts 3.3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, they asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. He said, look at us. This man was so shamed he couldn't even look. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And they said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. And he had to be going, oh man. Thought silver and gold's what I needed. You don't have nothing for me? Okay. I thought you were gonna be the answer to my problems. I chased money most of my life. I worshiped it. I made it a God. I craved it. I hoarded it. I did everything I could do to gain more money. I made it an altar. I made a God out of money. I know what this guy's thinking. Imagine the disappointment he must have felt. Paralyzed, unable to help himself, and Peter and John tell him they don't have any money either. Like the paralyzed man, I didn't know what I needed. All I knew, I was empty. Everything lacked purpose. I, I didn't even know whether God had given up on me or not. Imagine the paralyzed man hearing these words. I have no silver and gold, but what I do give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Notice Peter didn't say, get up and walk because I'm gifted. Get up and walk because I have the power of healing. He said, no, in the name of Jesus, not any Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, you get up and you walk. I'm not doing this. The Holy Spirit's doing it through me. In fact, I'm new at this. It's my first miracle, I think. I don't know what's going on, but get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, you dance. In the name of Jesus, you stand up on your legs, you run across God's house, you shout praises, and you dance. Because that's the only thing you can do when you realize you were paralyzed and now you're free. Really, I can do that? I remember thinking, God has a place for me. When the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, they spoke in tongues. To this man, the Holy Spirit brought healing. He took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Imagine that. He's doing the balance thing and all of a sudden he's like, whoa. And leaping up, he began to walk. But walking wasn't enough. He's at the temple. God's just healed him. He's going to dance and leap and praise God. He's going to stir up the entire outer court. And he does. And he begins to run and he danced and the people started following him and it's a parade. And they moved to Solomon's portico and he moved towards God. He went to where he believed God was gonna be. He's healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now remember the Holy Spirit does one thing, right? What is it? He points to Jesus. Notice what happens in this transformed man's life. He didn't heal the man just to heal the man and make you go, wow, that was amazing. 
took him by the right hand. He raised him up. But we know the Holy Spirit always advances the gospel. Verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. It's a miracle. And they recognize him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. Well, that's the guy I never gave any money to. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The Holy Spirit used this miracle to prepare their hearts for the word that was about to come. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as if we did it? If the Holy Spirit can reach people through tongues, they're going to speak in tongues. If the Holy Spirit can reach people through prophecy, you're going to speak in prophecy. If the Holy Spirit can reach people through healing, there's going to be a healing. The only reason Peter had the gift of healing in that moment was because the Holy Spirit decided that's what was necessary for advancing the gospel. And notice something that's always missed, often missed. This man wasn't randomly healed. God didn't just pick him out of nowhere. There was something about him. He believed and then he was healed. He likely saw the excitement in the portico at Pentecost. He couldn't get over there, but he believed. Acts 3.15. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of you all. He is healed because of his faith. He couldn't get over there, but he believed. And because he was an outsider, paralyzed, unable to help himself, at the gate trying to find answers, God reached out and grabbed him and said, stand up and walk. You're not paralyzed anymore. I see you. You can't go too far from me. The message is for everybody. Let's dance. The scriptures say he had perfect health. Perfect health. Physically and more importantly, spiritually. Peter tells him, just like this paralyzed man, there's a place for you too. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins can be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter tells him, you can be just like this man. He believed in faith. His faith has healed him. The Spirit has come. He is now dancing through the courtyard. Oh, by the way, it's for you too. I've sat outside of God's blessings. I've been paralyzed with my fear. I felt empty and then I was completely transformed in the name of Jesus. I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. I felt his gifts flow through me and I see God reach other people as the Holy Spirit speaks through me to hearts he's prepared. Half the time I get up here to talk and I'm like, where did that come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. Maybe the heart I'm supposed to speak to today is yours. I don't have gold or silver. But I can tell you in the name of Jesus, you can walk and you can run and you can dance. If you have faith. I want to close today by celebrating. Sometimes we close and we make you feel really like Inflective, sometimes you, it's hard. I want us, we don't dance enough. We don't celebrate what the Holy Spirit has truly done in our lives enough. 
If we realized how parable, how paralyzed and lost we were spiritually, and we realize what God has done for us, there's only one answer. We gotta get up. We gotta praise God and we gotta dance. So we're gonna end this service in celebration. If you just sit still, that's fine. I don't know how you do it. But if God healed me, I'm running across the temple celebrating. And I'm gonna ask you to get up and think about what God has done for you and sing this song to him.